Hi, this is Dr. Rahman, and welcome to Black Women's Health. It's all about you, and we celebrate the Black woman. Welcome. I am glad to have you here. Let's talk. I have a very special guest with me today. Her name is Karen. Karen has an interesting story of a woman who, can I say, in her 40s, is now trying to become pregnant and her discoveries and struggles along the way. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much, Dr. Rowling. If you would, tell me, how did this all begin for you? I think this journey started because after I got married, I got married in my 40s, and my husband, we had discussed whether or not we would have children. He already has one child. And at the time, he was comfortable and happy with his one child. And he did share with me that it's okay if or if I did not get pregnant. Because I was certainly concerned about becoming pregnant or being able to be pregnant at that age um, in my 40s, which is in my, I'm 46 right now. I had one pregnancy before but I had a miscarriage and that was in my, I would say like my late thirties, like 30, 39, Mm -hmm. um, almost on the cusp of 40, if you will. So this journey came about because at some point he expressed that it was really important to him and certainly for me to have a child. And it's something that, you know, I've always wanted to, is to have a child. Um, certainly is to be a mother, even though I do consider myself a mother um, to so many, but just to have that one child that you raised from birth. So it was precipitated by your husband, but how are you feeling? You are now in your 40s. Certainly you had to have thought about, am I going to have a child prior to that? Yes, I did. And and I think um, for lots of, I can't speak for every woman I know for me, and, and certainly for several black um, women who are in my circle, is that we do know that we tend to, it's very difficult to find viable mates to have children with, and certainly when we need to when we're younger. I think also in terms of our womanhood, that oftentimes you're so, um, it's not that you're so focused, it's just that the support system is such that you're in school and there's such a demand around being able to finish your education and then being able to earn a living because it's not as if you could stay home and then there's someone there. Those are not the kinds of situations in which we find ourselves and certainly not in which I found myself. So before you know it, you look around and everyone says, oh, you're healthy. When you're ready to have a child, you take care of yourself. You'll be fine. But that is not true. Um, There is certainly a direct link to age and fertility. And I think just for me, I was always aware of that, but you're also hoping, you know, that you'll meet the right person. So in hindsight, I don't know if there is the right person. I'm not sending women out to make um, what I would call, you know, unthought out or not carefully thought out decisions. Mm -hmm. But I certainly would say from a place of where I am now, is that if you absolutely can, is just to have your children younger. Just have them younger, have them while your eggs are still viable, 
it almost sounds as though we've all bought into the dream where it says you go to school, you get your education, and somehow that man is going to appear. That is exactly correct. Yes. But we all know that that's often not the case. <laughs> well, and as we, we, yes, and I think um, it's lived experience. And so in our lived experience, we, we now know that this is true. And I think for black women, especially, again, within my circle, the numbers are really against us for many different reasons. And this podcast is not about that. But I think just in terms of the numbers and who we have accessible and available, you know, in terms of men who, and it's not just about marriage, because mm-hmm. I am not advocating anything, but I certainly am not um, hamstrung handicapped or hamstringed by that notion that it's two people who signed that paper. And so I won't digress. But what I want to say is even someone who is committed to you is committed to the process of raising a family, that that is difficult for us in terms of the collective to find. But you were fully able to take care of a child on your own, but you wanted to have a relationship. Yes, I would say, yeah, because I was raised and I do believe having been in education, I think that it's balanced. I don't necessarily use the word equality here. I just think that a father and a mother brings balance to a child. And I think from my perspective, uh, speaking for myself, I didn't want to be selfish because certainly I could have gone ahead. Um, I had thought about it and, and had a child. I just did not. I thought that it was a selfish act for me as opposed to thinking about the child not being able to have two parents. And that's just how at the time that was my social construct. And I remember I met this doctor who was a white lady. She was a Caucasian lady. She is um, a podiatrist and um, she's really well known. And when she met me, I will never forget, she said to me, she said, you know, she said, you really should have your eggs frozen because black women have a hard time finding husbands Mm. and you're going to want to have a child. And I did go to NYU at the time to explore the egg freezing. And it's so ironic because it was so cost prohibitive for me at that time, because again, you're younger and you're not as financially sound and now you're financially sound and stable, but you don't have the equality you need. So it's a catch 22. Interesting. So you finally meet your husband. Yes. And he initially says, no problem. That is correct. Whether or not you can get pregnant, you know, I have a child, I love you. Right. <laughs> so. And how are you feeling? You're, you're fine with, we won't have a child? I think um, I'm, I've never really reconciled to that. I still think that deep in my heart of hearts, I do believe um, God. I do believe the universe and whoever God is for you. I do believe God for a miracle. Um, I think that there's just such a huge part of me that is maternal. And, um, and I would love just to be able to pass that on and to have that experience. And so when he came back and said... <laughs> I've reconsidered. I would love for us to have a child. You were willing to do that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So share with us what that journey has been like. So now you're in your 40s. Yes. And you're interested. 46, yes. And and so where do you go for, for, 
or how do you find a fertility doctor or what do you look for and what has that process been for you? So I think um, that's an excellent question, especially for a black woman. When he shared that with me, um, we tried naturally, was not getting pregnant. And then in consultations, I had several medical practitioners who said, and friends who said, you really should consider IVF. And I've had several friends who have had challenges with what we call um, second challenge fertility, mm -hmm. where they're able to have one child, but not the second child. Mm -hmm. And they said that Karen, sometimes even just getting pregnant with the first child could be a challenge. So I looked at several um, clinics, um, certainly in Philadelphia, Penn Fertility, um, there's Mainline Fertility, and certainly NYU Fertility. What I found for me in terms of the cultural responsiveness that I need, mm -hmm. I didn't find the level of care for black women. I didn't find the level of interest, the level of follow-up in these institutions. And so I reached out to Barbados Fertility and they really became the fertility center that I have engaged with. Just for clarification, can you be more specific about what you were receiving or not receiving from the clinics that you went to here in the States? I think um, that, that, again, is very nuanced. So what I tend to notice, and I don't think I was imagining this, I don't think I'm projecting or genuflecting, I think that this is real. I think just in terms of the doctor's responsiveness to me as a black mm -hmm. woman, in terms of my options that were available, so oftentimes I felt as if certainly you are your own advocate because you have to be but yes. i felt that i was the one who was doing the medical research and asking the questions well what about this isn't this possible couldn't i do that or when there was a follow-up i had to be the one to be pushing like isn't wouldn't wouldn't this decision make better sense or isn't this a timetable to have this done so i didn't find that level of interest of energy of excitement around here's this woman you know we're going to give her a hundred percent so i think that there is we say it's bias but bias is really a mild term i just think it's racism and um i think we know that black women die in childbirth and i think that that's some of that getting pregnant and no one really explores what it's like for black women who have fertility challenges but the racism is also there so do you think this this um these nuanced feelings that you were getting or lack of response was unique to fertility or you think it's just inherent in our health care I think it's inherent in the healthcare. One thing that I have done, especially now that I am in my 40s, I have made a concerted effort to engage with black healthcare professional, professionals mm -hmm. or practitioners, mm -hmm. like concerted. So I seek people out like you, I mm -hmm. research you. Mm -hmm. I had people said, well, look at Dr. Mm -hmm. Raman, if mm -hmm. who's, because I do, there's a different level of care. You will call, you'll say, I haven't heard from you. You will email. We don't, we're not seen as human beings and we're not treated like that. Mm -hmm. And um, And I think for those of us who know and understand what's happening, and who are informed is that you have to have a certain level of social justice around your own health care yes. and your own uh, well-being right. as a black woman. And you have to be willing to advocate for yourself, yes. which is what you were willing to do. Absolutely. So how did you find Barbados? <laughs> so Barbados, I had a friend in Jamaica, I'm Jamaican, and they were like, well, 
I was like, well, there is no place here in Jamaica because I asked the question. So where do women who are in the Caribbean, you have all these women, like, where do they go? Because I have some friends who are in my age group who, again, for a myriad of reasons and circumstances, do not have children. And it's not that anything where we could have had 10 children in our 20s and 30s. But here we are in our 40s. Right. And um, it's, it really comes down to the equality by the Absolutely. time you get to the 40. And someone says, well, you know, Karen, you might want to look at Barbados fertility. And so I did a lot of research. I sent an email, the head doctor at that clinic. Many of them are actually Americans, by the way, and who hmm. moved back or those, the health professionals there were educated in the United States or Canada or Europe somewhere they're about and then they really become became based in Barbados and so I reached out to them they followed up the email they call it's really genuine it's not um contrived it's not transactional they really do care about you they really do want to make sure that you're doing well that you are putting in the best effort to get the best outcome and I have to tell you the biggest difference was around that piece of they were the advocates themselves and the options that they presented. They were like, well, you could do this, you could do that. Typically, uh, many institutions around fertility, especially at this age, but in general, they do push the use of donor eggs immediately. Um, some fertility says, you know, if you're over 45, we're not even going to share with you what some of your other options could be. And they presented everything and they said, well, why don't you try a round of IVF first and then see how that goes, see how your body responds. And so that's what I found in Barbados. I found that they saw me as a person and that they treated me as a black woman who deserved an opportunity to have a child. That's interesting because you are correct in the sense that as women get older, their eggs become, they have fewer eggs and the eggs that they have are mm -hmm. less viable. Yeah. And even before a woman goes through menopause, there's that, what they call diminished ovarian yeah. reserve, <laughs> which can affect fertility. And so when you go to a reproductive endocrinologist, often they ask your age. Yes. And if you're 45 or older, yes. they say there's no point in trying to use your eggs. When Absolutely. eggs you may have mm -hmm. are probably not going to be responsive. And so therefore, you should consider donor eggs, yes. using, an, using eggs mm -hmm. from a woman that is younger. Yes. Now, when you went to Barbados, they said, we have no problem with your age. That is correct. Yes. What they did is they explained the science and the linkage with age. They absolutely um, shared the research and made sure that I had a clear understanding, which I did because I'm a researcher myself, but I had done all the research, but they presented it and they said, just so you know, here's a correlation between age and fertility. Here's what it looks like on the chart. Here's what the IVF rates, it, it severely declines yes. at 45. Yes. But after running the test, they said at a minimum, you owe it to yourself to engage in a cycle and see how it goes. I had one cycle before, but it was a no-go. We did not go to egg retrieval because when we did the hormone test, it was determined that based on the level of hormones that it would not be good or productive to go to egg retrieval. So it wasn't until I did a second cycle that we went from beginning to end where we actually went to the egg retrieval phase. So question for you. 
and this is kind of a hard question uh, it's a, a costly endeavor very costly right do you feel as though they were giving you false hopes in the in the hopes of just making money mm-hmm. I think that that's a really powerful question, and I would say no. I I would say no because at each corner of the journey, they you know they were really very much aware that this was a cost, and they would say you know well if we do this if we do that, um here's what we recommend so that you're not coming out with too many out of pocket expenses. Okay. And I think in to to Barbados's credit, they have had success with um some women even at 47 and 48, but you're talking about women who have under, they have experienced, have undergone at least 10 cycles of IVF. That is an emotional and um, a physical toll coupled with certainly the financial responsibility, but notwithstanding the finances, just the emotional, the, the, the hormone cycles and, you know, just what that requires. And so I think for them, having had those outliers and those success stories that for me coming in, they would not automatically say just go to donor eggs because there's also a cost involved in donor eggs and there's also a cycle of IVF that's involved in donor eggs. It's just instead of trying to uh, retrieve a viable egg with your DNA, it's someone else's DNA. Good. So... um... Your experience in Barbados was Barbados was not successful, correct? But it was positive. Yes, I would say yes. I left. Um, I did not feel diminished as a person. I think um that they have what I would call a very high level of empathy and care in terms of how they share information. Certainly they're not condescending, they don't speak down, they understand that Mm -hmm. you can comprehend exactly what Mm -hmm. is happening and what Mm -hmm. needs to happen. Um, They're very also much invested in your emotional well-being. When I returned to the United States, I mean, I got calls. I, you know, I even now have an email from one of the the lead nurses just checking in. So that that is not something that you pay for. Um, That was in April. This is October. That's so many months. And they're still just calling, just checking is everything okay? And I think that that just speaks to a level of empathy and care that we don't have within our American system. That's good. I, I, I agree with it also. Do you think there's ever an age when a woman's too old? I think what what I would say in my and lived I, I'm experience... Sorry. And I don't mean to cut you <laughs> off. I, and I don't mean too old in terms of physically being able mm-hmm. to carry a child. But is there an age where a woman is too old, um, maybe emotionally? Is it? Is there an age where she's too old? What benefit is it to the child to have a mother that's 69 years old at birth? So what are your thoughts about that? Is there an age limit? We know that there's the biological clock, but right. putting that aside. So put in... <laughs> I think that's a great question. I think there are two ways that I would think about that question. I would think about that 
it's I, I never think that someone is too old to be a mom. And by that, I mean, contextually, in my world, I see lots of women who have had to raise their grandchildren yes. because their daughters gave birth to these young people, but they're unable to care for them. Yes. And the grandparents have not only had to come in as custodial, but have had to take yes. full responsibility. Yes. And they become both the de facto and the de jure parents yes so i think um, it's never too old because children always need love so i think in those instances that that community is important for a child to have and wherever a child gets that from then those adults are never that mother is never too old that father is never too old i think that when one is trying to um have that baby through their, their using their, you know, their own biology, whether or not it's their eggs. When I say biology, you know, physically have yes. it. Yes, I do think it's too old. I think for me, I would say conservatively 48 would be that age where a woman would have to say, okay, I'm 48 now. Maybe it's time to explore other pathways to having a family or really being able to love and nurture a child such as adoption so i would say at 48 and then i would say um and that's conservative and on the liberal spectrum i'd say absolutely at 50. um i have known one instance i have a family friend and her uh grandmother had got pregnant at 50 mm-hmm. naturally mm-hmm. but she had nine children and so her last child she had at 50, which meant that she got pregnant at 49. And this child was raised along with my friend as their siblings, even though it's like their uncle, yes. just because of the age. And so I I know that these cases, again, are outliers, but I've seen it happen. I've known it to happen, but I would say absolutely 50. We also know that as a woman gets older... Um, she's at an increased risk for having babies with genetic abnormalities. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a very difficult situation. Um, Down syndrome being the most right. the most common, meaning there's an extra 21 chromosome. Mm. Um, it's not fatal, meaning that they're born and they can live right. lives. Mm-hmm. In that scenario, would you ever consider terminating a pregnancy if there were an abnormality? I think that that's a really excellent question. The technology, what I would say to that is I really recommend and, and having lived and walked this journey around fertility and the options is to really do that genetic testing. Um, I know in terms of the embryo that we always sign up when we did the rounds of IVF that so we would have genetic testing just to make sure that that embryo was whole and viable. So I would say to women that if you are going through IVF where you have the choice and the option to do genetic testing, absolutely do that. My husband and I, we also did the individual testing so we don't mm-hmm. have any abnormalities, mm-hmm. but we can never tell what okay. happens with the, when they, right, when, when they come together, so we don't know. So I would recommend that for people who get pregnant naturally, um, and, and that's like a different conversation. It depends on your beliefs around when life starts and, and who's in charge of life and what does that mean. And so those are very individual questions. But for myself, I would just say to everyone, really get tested and test the embryo. I know that if I had an embryo and we had it genetically tested, 
I would not proceed with that embryo because I think that that's also very selfish on my end. Okay. One of the options that women are often given when they get in their 40s is the use of donor eggs, Mm -hmm. meaning that with a donor egg, you can use your partner's sperm. The fertilized egg can then be implanted into your your uterus, but that is not your genetic child. How do you feel about donor eggs? (laughs) I think at first glance, um, because women can't have children for so many reasons. Um, I remember when I was maybe in my 30s, there was a lady in my church, and this couple kept trying, but she had had cancer. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was not deep into the, the, the reasons, the connections between having survived a breast cancer, a type of cancer, and not being able to get pregnant. And I think um, that at the time, the church that we attended was certainly did not approve of the use of donor eggs. And so I say that to say that I think it's so contextual for me in instances, because in an instance like that as a human being, I would say a woman like that who has survived cancer, who through you know, it's it's just, th- this is like a life changing. It's a transformative yes. medical event yes. that she should have those options. And so I haven't, I don't have a clear line for me yet in terms of where I fall on that. I think it's, but I'm not close to the option of donor eggs and I'm not fully open to the option of donor eggs. And I think that that's, I have to reconcile that spiritually in terms of what that means, even if, if there is a spiritual mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, component to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And so I hope to, <laughs> I will have to come to that reconciliation um, at least within the next three to four months, only because at this age, if you're not able to get pregnant naturally, then that is the only next viable route is through donor eggs. A lot of women see it as a fail, Mm. meaning if it's not my eggs, why bother? Mm. That, that, yes. And so, again, I think that that's the smallness of our egos. Yes. And and so I think we have to, with this fertility, we have to think about the largeness, the bigness of our egos. Um, Who is a mom? Who is a dad? What is a family? What is a parent? Again, you know, I've spent a lot of time in education. Many dads and many moms have children that they do not take care of, that they are not involved with, they are not engaged with. You know, they don't get to see them thrive or fail and try again. They don't get their sense of humor. They don't get to see how adorable they are. And then they have people who have entered their lives who have really taken on this responsibility and the honor of parenting. So I think that that speaks to the smallness of the human ego around whether or not it is a failure. I think that that's also attached to the patriarchy in terms of what it is that makes a woman and who a woman is and what adds value. And so I I really stand in contempt against the patriarchy and, um, (laughs) you know, and, and all these notions that really just serve to oppress women. So you said a very interesting phrase, honoring the ability to a parent a child. Yeah. 
which brings me to a great big option that people usually consider as the very last resort, mm -hmm. which is adoption. Right. <laughs> Do you have any particular thoughts about adoption? I think adoption is really, and you stated it perfectly, you articulated as a last resort because there is something within us that requires a level of control. And I think that for those who take the route of adoption, it's almost like you have this young person, you have this individual, whether it's a baby or a teenager, as long as they're under 18. And because they are here in the physical realm, yes. because they have had some inputs, whether it's nurture and nature, many individuals are reticent, they are reluctant to adopt because they're like, well, I didn't have any control over these inputs. I don't know what these inputs are. And I'm afraid that if these inputs don't align to my core beliefs, then that is going to not work out. And I think that in the end, it comes to that need, what's within the locus of control. And that is why we're so hesitant to adopt children because it's almost like they're coming and we don't know. So behind it, it really is fear, fear of the Absolutely. unknown. Do you have any thoughts about which is more important, nurture or nature? I think that that's, <laughs> I think they're equally important. Um, in terms of more, it, it really does depend. There's some individuals who, despite of everything they've experienced, they still manage to be whole. They still manage to be empathetic and, and civic-minded and loving and interested in something outside of themselves, but interested in being their best selves. But, you know, and, and they've had tremendous trauma. And you think that's genetic. There's a genetic <laughs> gene that makes someone like that. Yeah, I think that, that I think that in their core, that is who they are. I think that it's in their core. You could take a child, which is why they say on the spectrum that abuse is actually better than neglect for children. Because at least with abuse, there's an emotion. Someone sees you. It's negative, but there is negative attention. Whereas neglect, there's no attention. So oftentimes, when a child is neglected, that is a child that's more difficult to reach because they have zero, there's no emotion. They're not on the continuum of human connection. Abuse, you're on the continuum of negative human connection. So there is an opposite. You have a converse to that. And so you believe that there's a point of no return, meaning yes. if someone is subjected mm -hmm. to a certain amount of neglect, Yes. There is no undoing. Yes, that. absolutely. Because there is, yes. That's interesting. Yeah. So nature versus nurture, I, ju I, I think that they're equally important. I know you can have, they say like 50 different brothers, 50 different minds. Imagine that you can have 10 children, three children, two children, same parents, same mom, same dad. Um, lived experience are pretty much similar. And yet still they really uh, develop into very different individuals. And I just don't mean peripheral, superficial profession, what they do, one is a, a doctor, one is an engineer, one is a teacher. I don't mean that superficial. I mean their ability to care about the world, their kindness, their generosity, their ability to, again, um, to care about others and empathy. And I think that that's why we have to look at nature 
and nurture coupled together because you could nurture children in the very same way and yet have very different outcomes. That's very interesting. It's kind of pessimistic. I would like to believe that no one is beyond the point of responding to positive affection and nurturing. Um, I don't actually know if if that's possible, but I would not want to believe that someone is beyond reach. You know, that it's not possible. <laughs> right. That it's not possible. But um, it makes adoption a very interesting choice. Right. And and that and, and how do you provide trauma informed parenting? So oftentimes we speak about trauma informed care in the hospitals or trauma informed teaching and education. Yes. But really no one has really opened up that conversation about trauma-informed parenting. How do you parent young people who have experienced trauma? Yes. And what does that look like? And I think that that's the piece that if those who are the experts, if you will, within um, the adoption field, those who live in that sphere who are advocates, I think that if they were to open that avenue to individuals and people would have a tool Yes. that they could rely on and maybe begin to shift their mindsets about adoption. And then I guess the other almost benefit of it is that there are so many black babies available mm. that there is the possibility for a couple to consider getting a child that's very young and hopefully before they've had enough time on this planet to experience the negatives that can be that can be a parent but so here you are you've done everything perfectly you've gone to school you've gotten your education you've you now you're you're able to afford fertility treatment you're married everything is lining up any regrets or what would you tell your younger self so i would just tell absolutely just tell my younger self to really have my children younger i really would i would tell my younger self my mom always says there's no perfection and I really think there's no perfection. So there's never like a perfect marriage. There's never a perfect situation to have a child. Um, you might have an ideal situation, but it really is never perfect. Because even in so-called what the world perceives as there's mom or dad or there are two individuals, whether they're two partners, two moms or two dads, whatever that configuration is, it really isn't. There's always someone who carries the primary responsibility of the care given. And I think that my younger self would really have to be honest because you're so oppressed just by religion, by the religious voices, you know, who you should, who you shouldn't. Um, what does it mean to be a, a woman or a sure. good girl or a black woman? So sure. I would just tell my younger self, just really, if you are interested in motherhood, just have your, your children younger. So biologically speaking, that means have your babies, the optimal times would be to have your babies in your 20s. Would you have done that? I would have absolutely had my babies in my 30s. <laughs> Maybe not my 20s, because there is a component for us as black women where we're often the ones to break the generational poverty mm -hmm. or the cycles that um, keep our families locked in mm -hmm. a certain trajectory. But I definitely think that by the time you get to your 30s, it's a very brave decision. Um, it's actually, um, 
you know, it's scary. It really is. <laughs> but I'm with, just doing it. without a partner. Yes, with or without a partner. It really is scary. And sometimes, and I don't want to speak for all black women, and certainly sure. I don't want to say that this is the black experience. I just know that based on my circle of friends, you know, it just it's, it's just really where do we find supportive partners because lots of them through their pregnancies experience men who... Um, were afraid and not very supportive of their pregnancy. And um, I had a, a very interesting interaction with a lady who I know I work with her as a white lady. And um, she was just talking to me about uh, one of her relatives. And she used a very interesting metaphor. She said, oh, Karen, you know, she said, my nephew, he's like a black man. I found that very interesting. What an interesting parallel. She said, yeah, because he has all these babies and he's not married <laughs> to the woman. And my eyes oh my. just popped. Oh I had no words. I had, there, there, I had no words to respond to, to, to such a very um, biased, what a, a deeply, inherently... Um, racist and misconstrued comment that's true but here to this white woman looking at what i call the black collective she's now saying oh you know gee you know i have this nephew and he's just like a black man because here is how he lives his life so i say that to say that i don't want that narrative to be true for us um as a people as women i think we have to have a counter narrative but i'd absolutely say to my my younger self is to really, you know, just, just have um have your children young. And I'd say to all women, not just me, um, anyone who's listened to this podcast, this is a real conversation. We don't actually have this conversation. By the way, Dr. Raman, just so you know, in my research, I read where they they did share that there was this um, medical body that wanted to do an entire campaign for women to let them know about age, fertility, and that for some reason they would not allow them to have this campaign because they felt that, you know, it was anti-women's rights. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's one of the most women's rights things that you could do so that women have the freedom because women, we're not men. I don't want to be a man. Yes. And by that I mean it's, it's very different for me. A man can really have children at any age, even though we know that their sperm quality decreases. But the point is, if they go, they meet a younger, and men yes. are having these children. Yes. So I just think that that's the most, that's one of the most things around rights for women that we could do is to really say to women that you really have to own this, that this has to be you, and have an agency in how you're showing up. You need to be more proactive about it. Yes. Starting in your 30s, you yes, would say. I would absolutely, I would absolutely say that. So we didn't touch on egg freezing. We, <laughs> we've talked a lot about other right. things, but egg freezing. What, do you, uh, what are your thoughts about egg freezing? I would say, I, I tell my friends who are certainly in their 30s, I said, freeze your eggs. I said, freeze your eggs. I said, now this money that I have now in my 40s, if I had even taken out a loan and I had frozen mm. my eggs in my 30s, I would not be in this situation. So freeze your eggs. I tell them, anyone who will hear me, I tell my former students, I tell my current students, freeze your eggs. I remember when that podiatrist, she said that black women tend to, and at first I was offended and then I realized that she was speaking to some data that we do tend to find partners later in life. 
for again a myriad of reasons however freeze your eggs so if that's the one thing the one gift that you can give yourself is to freeze your egg freezing eggs are rel is a relatively new um, procedure yes. before it was the frozen embryo yes and that's been done for a number of years and quite successful freezing eggs is a little more experimental yeah um, there's no guarantee mm -hmm. but you know uh, having an egg that's at a younger age mm -hmm. um, increases the likelihoods that you'll have a mm -hmm. successful pregnancy but it is costly it, it is extremely expensive. It, there's the cost of just the freezing mm -hmm. and then there's the annual maintenance yes. so to speak more and more women are freezing mm -hmm. their eggs, and some employers are actually paying for it, although not most. Mm -hmm. um, so you really have to research if that's an option you're going to pursue. To see, right, what's going on. And it's just really being, I think, at this stage is to get out the way. It's just be bad, do you. And when I say be bad, like don't be, again... Um, we're oppressed because of society's expectations or what our families say. We have to make decisions that work for us. That's outside of our church. It's outside of the patriarchy because the church itself is also a patriarchy. And, um, and, and so I think we just have to just, just remove all the barriers and just take no prisoners and just really own your fertility. So I think <laughs> that you have come through the fire, yes. so to speak, and now you are a black woman advocating for other black women. Yes. So that's... So this is Dr. Ramon saying it's been a pleasure speaking to you and I look forward to talking with you real soon. Until then, be well, be healthy, and enjoy life.